you're doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia here for MMA Ratings Podcast Episode 147. It is just me today as my tag team partner, Schwan Humes, is out of commission today. I'm sure he's probably running around with the kids at basketball practice, and he just let me know that he will be unable to make it to tonight's show, but we'll be back next week to talk about the world of MMA, recapping UFC 246 and other news going on in the industry. But tonight... Before we get to UFC 246, we got to preview that show, talk about some new fight announcements, and also hit some MMA news bits from this week. As always, first and foremost, thank you for taking the time to listen to us, either tonight or listening to us before UFC 246 hits us. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to do so, listening to the show. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at MMA Ratings. And you can also catch us on our website at MMARatings.net, where you can rate the fights and let us know what you thought about all the action from start to finish. And you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter, where we are the most active at MMA Ratings Net. And for myself, you can hit me at rgarcia underscore sports, where I'm always talking about MMA, professional wrestling, basketball mainly, other sports topics and political topics as well. And I thank you for every little bit of support that you give me. So this is the first UFC event of two, uh, excuse me, of two, 2020. When we get to UFC 246 this Saturday, uh, excuse me, the 18th, and this is a card uh, I was actually looking forward to talking with Shawan about because this is a fight card that features a lot of women's mixed martial arts, which is very important to us as we try to make sure we highlight those uh, athletes when they step into the octagon. But of course, it's headlined by the big one, which is Donna Cerrone versus Conor McGregor, and this is an important fight. It's more an important fight than it is a uh, stylistic chess match. And, I, and I'll say that because at this point in his career, I'm just going to be clear, Cerrone is a suitable matchup for McGregor looking to return after three years away from the cage. I believe he hasn't fought, excuse me, no, two years because he last fought uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, and we all know how that situation played off. Out. Cerrone is riding two defeats, and he's not the same guy that stepped into the cage and went on his first couple of hot streaks within the UFC. And this is, um, I mean, we understand that that's the case. This is going to be his 50th professional fight, 50th. And there isn't, there aren't many guys like Donald Cerrone anymore. This guy gets on the horse and he just fights and fights and fights and fights and fights. I still remember that picture of him a couple of years back from when he fought one night and walked right into the UFC um, headquarters requesting another fight as quickly as possible. He's the company, he's the epitome of being a company man for the UFC, ready to fight anybody whenever they want him to at any given moment. So he's coming off of two losses, though, to Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje, both of which were TKO losses. He, he's gone three and three in his last six, and he also had that rough uh, spot where he lost to Jorge Masvidal, Robbie Lawler, and Darren Till over the course of 2017. So you have to wonder exactly what Cerrone looks like heading into this fight, and if that is going to play a part in how well he's going to compete on Saturday. We know who Conor McGregor is. He is a striker first who can get out there and counterpunch with the best of them. He's probably, he's a slow starter per se. I'm Well, 
I'm going to say he's a different type of slow starter because Donald Cerrone is a slow starter too. I would like to say McGregor's more of a measured starter where he gives his opponent the opportunity to put themselves out there and put themselves in a position to get starts. And I expect that to be the way this fight goes on Saturday. I see him being able to control the space and control the pace of this bout. Sean and I talked about this last week because I think the biggest portion of it the biggest question I had was, how did this fight look early? If, is this a situation where Donald comes out aggressive, gets caught soon, and goes down? Does McGregor come out aggressive knowing that Cerrone is a prototypical slow starter? Does he go to uh, Cerrone's body, which has been one of his weaknesses over the last few years? There's so many different questions about how this fight would look. I mean, how does, does Cerrone maybe attempt to try to get this fight down to the ground and implement his grappling, where he a lot of people forget how good his uh, jiu-jitsu game is? Now, it's funny because he was being interviewed this week by ESPN, and he said that he knows he knows he has the advantage in that area, but he doesn't intend on taking this fight to the ground. He intends on standing with Conor, and I think that's going to play to his detriment but again like I said there's a lot of questions to ask about here in my opinion I think he does attempt to stand with Connor and I think he gets hurt early and I do think he makes it out of the first round but I think he gets stopped in the second kind of the way that the Eddie Alvarez fight looked years ago when um, Connor McGregor won the UFC lightweight title via TKO in the second round. I think that this fight is going to be very similar to that with uh, Connor hurting Donald early in the first and then finishing him in the second. But that is not the only piece of this fight that is important. There's a lot of different storylines to talk about when you look at the narrative around this fight. Obviously, you have to wonder if McGregor is still the... What type of McGregor will come out on Saturday? He made the comment while talking to Ariel Hawani that he can beat Donald Cerrone at any point in time, no matter his condition, even if he had the flu. And at this point, I tend to agree with him um, because Donald Cerrone isn't that guy. He isn't that fighter anymore. Maybe at an earlier stage in his career, it would be a different situation. But right now, the odds are in McGregor's favor. But you have to wonder if he is the same type of draw, if he's the same type of promotional powerhouse that he once was back when he was defeating Nate Diaz or he was having that the the back-to-back fights with Nate Diaz when he was putting out Josie Aldo when he was putting out Eddie Alvarez you have to wonder if he has the ability to regain that promotional stature because right now the question is up in the air the UFC has really changed their business model that they don't need guys to be huge pay-per-view draws anymore because they have guaranteed money from ESPN have guaranteed partnerships which play out better for that organization and limits further limits the power of fighters such as McGregor and like this isn't the same guy who's demanding ownership and talking about he wants stake in the organization he knows he doesn't have that leverage anymore so you have to wonder what the buzz will be about this fight come Saturday because right now it doesn't seem to be as powerful as it once was it's definitely much more maligned than before his antics have I don't want to say caught up with them but it's definitely caused a pretty loud loud contingent of people to just shrug and um, not be as 
enticed by his antics um, anymore. You saw Ariel Hawani mention the allegations. He didn't say sexual assault allegations that there's two different cases out that he's being investigated for. You haven't seen too much conversation about that from ESPN, definitely not from UFC. I'm sure that they will not allow questions to be asked about that come the press conference, which I think is tomorrow. Yeah, because tomorrow's the press conference. I think open workouts on Thursday and then weigh-ins on Friday. Right? Yes. So I don't believe there's going to be any questions asked about that, but we're going to have to see how that plays out. Uh, he, I wasn't too, I don't want to say enthralled or thrilled by the way he answered the questions from Burial on ESPN because it's, it's we've seen these type of responses from combat sports athletes and athletes in general in the past. It's just, you know, it's run-of-the-mill PR type responses that don't necessarily dive into the situation at hand. There's no uh, remorse. There's no admission of guilt. There's no apology. There's nothing of the, of the like. So, you know, that's just more par for the course. Um, another piece me and Shawan talked about this last week is what how can I put this into words? If if Conor, Conor McGregor is not dominant on Saturday, what does that mean for his overall stock? I think that he is being lined up for a shot against uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov. We know that that's already the case, but he's also positioning himself to call out other men, such as Kamara Usman and Jorge Masvidal. I think he wants absolutely nothing to do with either one of those two fights, but we've seen worse fights made within the UFC. I think both of those men dispatch him pretty handily. I think Khabib beats him as well, again, because of the way the fight went the first time. However, I think that he has some space, potentially, to win this fight, and let's say Khabib Nurmagomedov uh, denies, not denies, or stalls on making the lightweight title fight. I would like to see him maybe fight Justin Gaethje. I think that that won't happen because Justin, Justin poses a huge threat at a lesser payday when he could maybe go and fight Jorge Masvidal and get more money there. So I don't see that opportunity necessarily playing out for the former World Series of Champion fighter there. But I do think his name needs to be considered in this conversation here. If McGregor does not look dominant coming out of Saturday's main event, I think that he will take another fight before getting put in the in the title picture. But then again, at the same time, I see it going the other way where he can be slotted right into the lightweight title or right into the make-believe BMF belt. But either way, this is a big fight for the UFC on Saturday. This is their first card of the year. It doesn't seem as big. It doesn't feel as big as past um, McGregor fights just because I think they've pulled back on promoting him due to some of those allegations that are swarming around his name right now. And I think that's just cause. People were tired of his shit last time around. I'm just going to be clear. I, for one, was definitely tired of the shit. I tweeted a couple weeks ago that I enjoy this sport much more when there's less Conor McGregor to talk about because I think I just, I'm just not here for that. I go to pro wrestling for my pro wrestling. I come to combat sports for my combat sports and he just, he just doesn't do it for me. However, I understand his value as a fighter and I understand his value as a name within the sport because this sport doesn't have many many eyeballs on it that will, or many names within it that will pull eyeballs from other sports. Um, a coworker of mine who 
rarely talks about MMA at all, at least to me, asked me during a big team meeting the other day if who has a fight this weekend. So I was kind of, when he asked me, I was even thrown back. I'm like, what fight are you talking about? Then he brought up uh, McGregor and Cerrone. I'm like, you know, that's pretty interesting that he was able to do that. Other people knew what was going on as well, too. So, I mean, you know his name is going to draw uh, attention there, and that's going to continue the case, but I don't think it's quite the same attention that we've seen in the past. And we don't get pay-per-view numbers anymore, so we don't know how that really will play out either. So let's see what happens from there. But this is a big fight. This is a big moment for the UFC. And in my opinion, this is the biggest moment for Conor McGregor because he has to come out looking like a rejuvenated athlete, looking like a fighter that's ready to put on a clinic in this fight and also ready to position himself to have a big 2020 like he's been talking about leading into Saturday's main event. So last week I misspoke when I talked about the overall strength of this card, and I forgot about a lot of the women's fights that are on this event, and Shawan did a great job of reminding me. So let's run through some of these other car fights on this um, UFC 246 card and talk about some things and um, aspects of these bouts as well. So Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington is a fight in which I think it's two individuals who are on their way out of not necessarily the organization, just on their way out of their position as elites within the division. Let me pull up the rankings real quick because I'm curious of where they both sit. So Home and Raquel Pennington sit at three and five respectively at 135 pounds. Um Amanda Nunez is a champion, you know, where she's a double champion there and over featherweight. She's defeated Jermaine Arandami. She hasn't fought Aspen Ladd. She's defeated Holly Holm. I think she's defeated Juliana Pena. I don't remember if they fought, but Juliana Pena's record before. You have Raquel Pennington, who uh, Amanda Nunez has defeated. Irene Aldana is up there, so she does, she's just coming off, off of a big win. And I really think that the only names that could probably stand as challengers to Nunez right now are maybe Ladd and Aldana. Let me see. Did Juliana Pena fight her at some point in time? I don't think she did, although I may be wrong. Let me see. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again in the future. Juliana Pena has not fought Amanda Nunez. So may, I mean, but she's only, I mean, she lost the Valentina Shevchenko in 2017. I think she had a child. And then, uh, yeah, she had a child two years ago. And then she fought Nico Montano at UFC uh, in UFC in July of last year. So she's not in a position to really demand a title shot either. So this fight for home and Pennington, I, regardless of how either one of these two individuals win, I don't think that they're in a position to demand a title shot because Amanda Nunez finished both of them. Uh, she head kicked Holly Holm, got her out of there, and beat Pennington to the point where she quit on a stool. Her team sent her back out there, and she finished her off. And I think it was the fourth round of that fight. But this fight is a rematch of the 2015 contest where I believe Holly Holm won via split decision. It was Holm's first fight in the UFC. And I remember a lot of people were down on her when she won that fight because it wasn't what they thought was going to be, yeah, so she won via split, correct. And then we know the story from there. She went on to defeat Marion Renault, and then she head-kicked uh, Ronda Rousey. But then she's lost 
five of her last seven, losing three straight to Misha Tate, Valentina Shevchenko, Jermaine Durandami, Chris Cyborg, and then the men. Yes, like that is a that's a hell of a group of women to lose to um, in a four year uh, three year span. She beat Besh Kohea and Megan Anderson in 2017 and 2018, respectively. And those were wins that kind of keep her within the top of the division, but they weren't worth – I mean, they aren't big enough to kind of put her in a position to demand a title shot or to consider herself still a top contender. Pennington, on the other hand, she had a strong run. Let me see how, how things have been going for her. She has not fought since uh, – let me see. She defeated Irene Aldania back in July of last year. She lost two straight to Jermaine Durandami and Amanda Nunez. But um, she had a pretty good run as well, where she defeated Jessica Andrade, Bess Correa, Elizabeth Phillips, and, and Misha Tate. So she's put on uh, a pretty strong run of her own. I just don't think she's in a position where she is going to gain a lot from this fight. Um, Holm is 38 years old, so she doesn't look like the same type of fighter as she did when she was younger or throughout her boxing career. So maybe she's at a position where... Pennington can pick up a valuable win. She's 31, so she still has longer legs in her MMA career. But I don't know. I don't think this fight, a victory for her, has as much value as it once, um, as it's once once talked about. I can't remember. I think I talked about this last time. Amanda Nunez fought. I can't remember if if it was Rapel. Uh, is it Raquel Pennington or Nina Ansaroff who's talked about leaving the sport for an extended period of time to have to have a family with a partner? Pennington's with Torres and Ansaroff is with um, Nunez, so we'll, we'll kind of see what that looks like if Pennington wins this fight and she wants to stay around. I can't remember if that was her or not, but um, that's neither here nor there. That should really kind of detract with how she's going to do in this fight. Pennington is a closer uh, underdog this time around. Than she was the first time they fought. I think she was about a, uh, Sean Rossap was talking about it during his preview show over there on Fightful.com, where Pennington it was a 400 plus 450 underdogs in, and now she's like about 120, 150. I like those odds on her. Um, I think that the there's a lot of footage out on how to defeat home, kind of similar to the way that there's a lot of footage out there to defeat um, Frank Yeager. I think that that's going to play into Pennington's favor, and I think she can edge out a decision here, especially looking back to see how close the first battle was back in 2015. Alexi Olnick and Moise Green, I don't really care about that fight too much. Cardi Gadelia and Alexa Grasso, I think this is an important fight too as well. Um, I am leaning towards Grasso in this fight here because I think that Cardi Gadelia is a little bit on, on the uh, downturn. Yes, she looked better when she fought Ronda Marcos and she was working with the East Coast Super Friends, which was Ricardo Almeida and, um, goodness, Mark Henry and those guys in the Northeast. But I don't think she is going to continue. This isn't the same uh, Gadelia that pushed Ioana and Jacek to that split decision the first time around. I just don't think it is. Uh, her gas tank looked a little better against Marcos, but you, if it was also because she wasn't as active. There was a big portion towards the end of that fight where she still had gas because she wasn't doing too much. She was standing, waiting for um, Ansar or Marcos to come forward, and she was basically pushing her up, up against the cage. I think that Grasso is going to be someone who pushes the pace a little bit more. If you look back to her fight 
against Carla Esparza. She was willing to push that um, push that pace much fast, much more aggressively against uh, Esparza, which I think will help her against someone like Claudia Gadelia. Now, the question is, how, how can she deal with Gadelia on the ground? We saw what Tatiana Suarez was able to do to her, but Suarez is a wrestler that's on another level compared to the rest of this division. So that is a big question headed into this fight here as well, too. I am liking Ansara, or excuse me, Alexa Grasso to get this win here. And again, as I said, I think it's more because of Gedalia potentially being on the downturn than it is on uh, Grasso being that prospect that can challenge for the title. I think this is the right place, right time fight for her. And I expect her to see her get her hand raised on Saturday. I also wanted to talk about Anthony Pettis and Diego Ferreira. We're going to talk about Anthony Pettis in an interesting and weird story later on in the show today. But his fight against Diego, I think that this is a tough, tough, tough fight for him. Anthony Pettis has taken a lot of damage. He's been hurt multiple times since he's had a lot of injuries with his hands. Diego has not lost since Dustin Poirier beat him back in 2015. Five years. And now he hasn't fought the greatest of um, opponents since then. Rustam Habilov, in my opinion, is probably his most important victory out of that time. But he lost to Benil Dariush and Dustin Poirier back in 2014 and 2015, respectively, and since then has been on a run. And I, I am looking at him to win this fight. He's won seven of his nine UFC bouts. And I, and I think that that's important. He's currently ranked in this division Let's see if he's ranked at lightweight. Uh, he is not ranked at lightweight. Is this a featherweight fight? I don't think this is a featherweight fight, is it? What would be class is this? Okay, so he's not ranked, period. I'm not sure what... Let me see something real quick. Because now I'm curious what weight class... This fight is at. Let's see, let's see, let's see here. This is a lightweight battle. So neither man is ranked at 155 right now. Anthony Pettis is number 11. So this is a big fight for Diego as well, too. I mean, he could definitely get into the rankings with the, with the win here. And I expect him to get the victory. I expect him to stop Anthony Pettis, to be honest, because Pettis is coming off of... Let me see what his last – he lost to Nate Diaz, a fight that he was doing well in until he hurt his foot. Um, he got stopped by Tony Ferguson, stopped by Dustin Poirier, stopped by Max Holloway. I mean, he's he's exchanged wins for losses. He defeated Charles Oliveira. He submitted him, which surprises me. Defeated Jim Miller, defeated Michael Chiesa, and he knocked out Stephen Thompson with that ridiculous um, off-the-cage off punch. So Pettis can always pull something out like that. But I think that Diego's going to be prepared and it's going to be, he's going to suffer too much of a beating. I think Diego's going to get the win via stoppage there. Let's see who else I wanted to talk about on this card. There's a bunch of fights I really want to talk about. Macy Barber and Roxanne Modafari. I'm probably going to write about this fight tomorrow if I have time. But Macy Barber is putting herself in a position to talk herself into title contention. She's currently sitting at number nine in the division right now. Roxanne Martifari is sitting at number seven. When you look at this division, 
Caitlin Chukagian, Spiny Dots, and Yusufchenko. Jessica Eyes coming off of that first round stoppage. Jo uh, jo Joanne Cowderwood, I can't remember her last fight. Jennifer Maya, I think she's coming off of a loss. Vivian Arujo, um, she's coming off of a loss. No, Jessica Eyes coming off of a win. She just beat um, Vivian. You got Lauren Murphy, Roxanne Martifari, Andrea Lee, and Macy Barber. I do not think that this fight will put Macy Barber in the number one contender spot, but it will give her more cachet to continue doing her act of calling out uh, fighters. She's been calling out Paige Resident. Paige Resident made it clear she's not taking that fight because she thinks Macy Barber is being disrespectful. That's a conversation for another damn. Like I said, that's probably going to be the topic that I'm writing about. I think it's a little cringe, her um, post on Instagram or wherever she can talk about her interviews, talking about Paige. I mean, she knows what she's doing. Paige is ranked number 14 in the division, and she's calling out somebody ranked that low because she does a, she wants to take or build some value in her name off of off of Paige instead of calling out a Jessica I, calling out a, a Calderwood, calling out a Jennifer Maya. Macy Barber's tough. She's a tough out for anyone, and she's trying to play that 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 game. She's young. She know she knows what she's doing. It's a little cringeworthy to me because I'm just not a fan of it. Uh, she's 21 years old. She's coming off of she's won three fights in the UFC. Hannah Seifert, JJ Aldrich, who's also on this card, and Jillian Robertson. She beat Jamie Colleen on the Dana White Contender Series the second season. So I mean, she's doing what she needs to be doing. She is eight fights into her professional career, and she's just going to continue doing what she's doing there, calling out names that she thinks will get her closer to a tire shot, closer to bigger paydays. paydays. But she has an interesting opponent in Roxanne Modafari. Roxanne Modafari is 37 years old, and she will not go away. She is the individual who people think sh – uh, she she's the prototypical – doesn't look like a fighter, but will beat your ass type of uh, individual. And don't let her record fool you. Yes, she's 23 and 16, but she's been doing this for se almost 17 years. It'll be 17 years this year. And she's fought some of the biggest names in this sport from Shayna Baszler, Tara LaRosa. She fought Megumi. Oh, she didn't fight Megumi Fuji. Did she? No, she fought uh, Marlos Conan twice. Defeated her one time, actually. Um, fought Sarah Kaufman. Rosie Sexton, Barb Honchak, Raquel Pennington. If you know anything about women's MMA, you know those are names worth knowing because they're they're pillars in women's MMA before the Ronda Rousey era, before the Misha Tate. Well, Misha Tate was probably around in two as well. I just think Misha Tate has a fight against Barb. But Modifari has been doing it since then. She's not going to go out there and just go get put out to pasture. She's not. No way, shape, or form. Um... She lost two tough fights against Shajara Eubanks and Jennifer Maya, two individuals who were looked at as contenders for uh, their respective divisions. She also won. Uh, it was a split decision. shouldn't have been a split against Antonia uh, Shevchenko, and that was a fight that was booked to prop Shevchenko up. It was meant to make her look good, heading, um, being Valentina's sister, but Roxanne went in there and kind of spoiled that too. So she's someone that shouldn't be overlooked on this card as well, and I think that this is going to be a tough fight. I mean, the, the, the lines are pretty close. I might throw a couple of dollars on Roxanne just to see what kind of happens, but she's one that should never, ever be counted out of any fight. Let's see. Who else are we talking about here? Andre Feely and Sudik Youssef. Um, I'm picking, I'm picking uh, 
Yusef in this fight here. I just think, again, he's just someone that has more of an upside. 26 years old. He knows how to finish. He can win a decision. He can knock people the fuck out. I think he's riding a... Uh, he just knocked out Gabriel Benitez in the first round. He's won three of his UFC contests since joining the promotion and not including his Dana White Tuesday Night Cont Contender Series bout. I just don't think that Andre Feely has enough to really threaten him in this bout. He is a dynamic striker. He is uh, exciting to watch, but I just think that he is going to get overcome in this fight here. Uh, and I, I think that, that this is an opportunity where uh, Sadiq Youssef has, can come out looking very good with a victory over um, Andre Feely. But I do think I am picking Sadiq in that, in that fight there. We also have, I wanted to talk about Sabina Mazo and J.J. Albridge. I, I want to skip that fight because that was a fight that I wanted Shawana to talk about. He's more familiar with those two women. But this is a decent card. I am working it for Fight Metric, looking forward to some of the action. Of course, everyone's going to be focusing on the main event, but this isn't a card to be uh, completely scoffed at. Yeah, you know, there's there's the paywall and all the information for um, this being a pay-per-view event. Would it have fared better on Fox? Probably, but, you know, the organization isn't going to put Conor McGregor on free TV at this point in time. So look forward to this fight here. Definitely look forward to the main event. Let's take this opportunity to segue into round two of tonight where we're going to talk about some new fight announcements. Just two, two fights that I want to uh, talk about here. Um, the first one is Kevin Lee versus Charles Oliveira, which is booked for... March 14th. I don't know what event it was booked for. Let me see. Where are they fighting? Um, UFC Fight Night 170, which is in Brasilia, Brazil. Now, this is an interesting fight to me. We all, we've talked about Charles Oliveira multiple times on this show. Schwan and I have gone back and forth about him, about what is his value, where is his stock going to rise or fall. But, um, Charles Oliveira struggles against the elite fighters. If you look through his resume, yes, he has mounds of wins. He has, he's riding a five-fight win streak. One, two, no. One, two, three. He's riding a six-fight win streak. None of those guys are ranked. He lost to Paul Felder, who was ranked at the time. He beat Will Brooks. Will Brooks was ranked back then, but we've seen Will Brooks flame out of the UFC and other promotions since. But he's lost to Paul Felder, Ricardo Lamas, title challenger, uh, Anthony Pettis, former champion, Max Holloway, former champion, Frankie Edgar, former champion, Cub Swanson, former title challenger, Donna Cerrone, former title challenger. He's lost to Jim Miller, and that's it. So he struggles against the elite. Kevin, Ali, Kevin Lee excuse me, is a former title challenger. Him and uh, Tony Ferguson fought in a interim title fight, and he is a He's a threat to Charles' grappling game because he knows enough. He's a good enough wrestler to score takedowns, and he knows enough to maintain safe positions. So the question becomes is whether or not Oliveira, who's okay on his feet, technically sound on his feet, if he can do enough work there to open something up on, on the ground. And I wonder what that's going to look, look look like. Remember, the first round when he fought Paul Felder, he got to some dominant positions and battered Paul Felder. We thought that, I personally thought that that fight was going to end in the first 
but ended up going to the second. We saw Oliveira gas out, and we saw Felda basically turn turn the tide and return the favor there. Kevin Lee can do something similar, but the question is, I wonder if Kevin Lee's grappling is good enough to protect him um, on the ground. I mean, we just saw Rafael Desanio submit them, submit him, and we saw Tony Ferguson submit him. In my opinion, Oliveira has better jiu-jitsu than both of those guys. So let's see what this fight looks like. I'm excited for it. I think it's an opportunity for Oliveira to put himself in title contention. Let me see where he's sitting at 155. In the 155-pound division, he's sitting at number 13. Kevin Lee's at number 8. So I don't think that this fight will vault him up into pure title contention. But if he was a this fight, maybe win two more. Let's say he fought Paul, got a rematch with Paul Felder, maybe fought Dan Hooker got a rematch with Dustin Poirier, something something along those lines. He could put himself in a position to be a title a, a title contender, but he needs this fight on Saturday, or excuse me, he needs this fight in March. And it is a very compelling fight for to me for a number of different reasons. The other fight I wanted to talk about, actually let me pause one second. The other fight I wanted to talk about was Demetrius Johnson over in one championship fighting for the 1FC title. He is fighting Adriano Moraes on April 11th. Uh, let me see, let me see, let me see, let me see. That's the wrong Adriano. Let me see, let me see something real quick. Let me see, so Demetrius Johnson is fighting. Oh, got the wrong guy there, so let me pull up Adriano's sure dog record real quick. He is a current uh, 1FC championship champion, so he's 18 and three. He's one and one in his last two. Um, this is going to be a fight where Johnson is looked at as the favorite, as he should be, in my opinion. He still deserves to be ranked within the top pound for pound fighters in the world. Maybe number two, if you're going to take, uh, if you're going to talk about John Jones. Sometimes I, I would even put him at. Well, you can't put him at number one at this point in time. He's outside of the UFC, but maybe one, two. Easily top five. One of my favorite pound-for-pound pound fighters of all time. But this is a fight where he's going to come in as the um, as the favorite. And, you know, he's been doing well in 1FC. He's won, he won the Grand Prix there where he won three fights in a row across 2019 in March, August, and October, getting one finish and two decisions. So, I mean, he has, he's not slowing down, and yet we're hoping we don't see a situation like we saw with Eddie Alvarez where Eddie came in a, a, as the favorite and lost to a very game opponent that people may not have been too familiar with. But I am looking at Demetrius Johnson to come out with as the adding the one title to his, um, to his resume as well. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of him, and I think that he got a raw deal with the uh when the UFC traded him for Ben Askren. But I mean it played out to everyone's favor in the long run. So I have two stories I want to talk about with round number three of uh the episode 147 of the MMA Reigns podcast. And the first one is Anthony Pettis is planning on suing USADA. And the reason why is this is pretty interesting. So I almost didn't believe it at first, but I read the story and it's pretty uh I don't want to say comical, but it's pretty, yeah, might be a little bit of a stretch there. So he's suing USADA because he 
was giving the organization, you know, you know, you saw this organization that runs the anti-doping program for the UFC. He was giving USADA a sample before his fight against, uh, let me see, when, when did it happen? Uh, let me see, let me pull that story back up. Anthony Pettis was giving a sample on August 17th before he fought Stephen Thompson. No, excuse me, before facing Nate Diaz. And he cut his hand while screwing the top on the the bottle. You know, if you've ever given a urine sample before, you pee into a bottle, screw on the top, provide the top. And he's saying that he cut his hand open and screwing the top on. So he had the doctor glue his hand, the UFC doctor glue his hand shut, and then he would go on to lose the fight to Anthony or to Nate Diaz via unanimous decision. Now his team has put him in a position to sue the UFC, and they're going to use the same uh, lawyer, Howard Jacobs, that defended John Jones in his anti-doping case. So you have a guy who is familiar with USADA and dealing with the UFC. And Abe Kawa, who's Milky Kawa's brother, Anthony Pettis' um, manager, this was a statement, quote, we are absolutely filing a lawsuit. We'll be naming USADA, UFC, and the manufacturer of the bottle that Anthony cut himself on. It's pretty much a, it's, it, this is, I read the story. I was like, wait, what? I thought he was getting sued. I thought he was suing it for something else. I mean, okay, go get your money, Playboy. Uh, if you think that it, it'll work, Showtime, go 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 get that money. But I think this is a little bit of a stretch, and I don't think he has the. Uh, I wonder if he has the financial resources to try to fight this out for an extended period of time. So that's odd story for this week number one. Odd story number two is about Paul Daly. Now, if you know, Paul Daly is one of my favorite fighters in the sense where he's that guy who comes to knock people out regardless of the opponent. And he will never get back into the UFC for what happened with him and Josh Koscheck. But he's continued to do good work and other organizations around the world where he may not have done good work or where he may not be doing good work is as the uh, comment is on the commentary booth for Bellator, where I should say where he wasn't doing good work is on the commentary booth for Bellator because he's been fired according to MMA fighting and Paul Daly's Instagram posts. He said that he's being taken off out of the booth for off the cuff, uh, what do you say off script comments about Michael Venom Page. Now, you have to go back to Michael Venom Page's last fight where he defeated Giovanni Mil Milillo in the first round via knockout. And Daly said the following, and I quote, on air, this is ridiculous. You can, uh, this is ridiculous. You can't continually beat these kind of guys. Yes, he knocks them out, but he's expected to knock them out. What does this prove? The fact that he knocked out a guy nobody will remember, it proves nothing. It proves nothing at all. Now, End quote. While, yes, you have Daly, who has been a adamant critic of Michael Venom Page. They didn't have the greatest fight when they fought, and Page won that fight there. Um, but he is not wrong here. He has ma is making a clear statement about uh, the types of fights Michael Page is given. And, I mean, you can look at his record. Just not he hasn't fought anybody we're fighting us except for Daly and um, Diego Lima. So we'll see what happens with this. 
as of now, Bailey is um, out of the out of the booth. He's not at least he's not at her saying statements like um, John McCarthy that Michael Venom Page is fighting guys that are as good as um, Anderson Silva was or better that his record is better than Anderson Silva's. I mean that's neither here nor there because we know that that's wrong. But I am you know I, it sucks that he's been snatched off of the booth, but that kind of shows you what Bellator is trying to do with Michael Venom Page. They're trying to protect that guy and that you know they've done a good job of it since um, except for when you fought. Diego Lima got hit with the hammer of Thor. So that's it for episode 147 of today's show. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Again, my name is Rafael Garcia. Uh, you can find me at rgarcia underscore sports. You can find everything MMA ratings at mmaratings.net. Go there, rank your fights. Let us know what you think of USC 246. Let us know how excited you are for upcoming fights. Tell us everything there. You can catch us on Instagram and Twitter at mmaratingsnet. And you can um, follow my tag team partner, Black, uh, Jordan Breen, not Jordan Breen, the Black Jordan Breen, Sean Humes. You, you can find him on uh, Twitter at Black Jordan Breen. Goodness, I can't speak today. But yes, give us all a follow where we're always talking about MMA, always talking about combat sports. And again, this is Rafael Garcia here for episode 147 of the MMA Reigns podcast. I thank you for your time. Thank you for your support. Please be sure to like and share our content and share it across all, all of your channels. Everyone have a great day. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you back here next Tuesday.